just a few moments of time to share with you a thought that's been in my heart, born of some of which from my own personal experiences and aware, some an awareness that God has created in my heart pastorally in the context of fellowship. Fellowship more than just in the casual use of the term fellowship, but an expansion of its application. Now I want to look at fellowship and the multiple levels that as I've studied the Word of God and gone through my own personal experiences, I've discerned that there are levels of fellowship. Today I want to talk to you about four levels of fellowship, critical levels. It's not, this is not something that you can have three of which and be complete. It's not something that you can be impartial in. You have to have the fullness of this in your life to really be functioning at the level that God wants for you. And that's going to become more clear to you as we understand it in just a few moments. So let's ask God to open our our spiritual eyes and ears and our heart today. So let us pray. Father, as we humble ourselves in this room, we look to, Father, the Word of God to illuminate to us Father, biblical truths and principles. We're looking closely and intentionally at the life of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us expand our understanding, Father, of this particular area, looking at fellowship in a unique way and from a particular angle today. Now, Father, as I have confessed many times in this sanctuary over the latter 12 years, I echo those words again today. I am incomplete of myself. I do not have an ability, Father, to communicate truth at the level that is necessary for the listening audience. But if you supply the tongue of the learned this morning, Father, then I know, God, that I'll be transformed. You'll make my tongue the pen of a ready writer, and you'll write on the script of the heart today, and every man, woman, boy, and girl will walk out of this room having received of something from the Lord. Thank you for that today. It's in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. I want to take just a moment before we really unfold this a little further to just kind of take you deeper in the context of fellowship. The word fellowship appears in the King James English on multiple passages of Scripture, but usually at the heart of it is a Greek word meaning, or actually in the Greek it's koinonia. And koinonia in essence is a partnership. It's a common participation. It actually it is on uh, in the angle of communion to a degree. It's a, sometimes a very intimate relationship. I think we could expand it with synonyms as associations or community, certainly communion. And oddly enough, the Strong's Concordance uses this word, and you have, to, you have to filter it and understand its proper application. It meant social intercourse, not sexual depravity in public, but people coming together in unity and harmony and relationship. And I want to show you today that it doesn't just happen on one level, but there are multiple levels where you can have communion and association and partnership and connection and how that God expects us to each one of us function at these multiple levels. I'd like to begin first by looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus. Don't you just like to look at his life through the word of God, to read about Jesus, to hear preaching about Jesus, to just look closely at who he is and what he did and how he lived. I stand amazed every time I have the privilege of just journeying through the Gospels and seeing how Jesus interacted. In three and a half years, he changed the entire course, not only of human history, but also of people's eternal destination and destiny in three and a half short years. And so we're following his ministry and 
as we do so, much of Jesus' ministry was public. It was public speaking, just to be honest, public both preaching and teaching. Now, we know that he also had a prolific, the most prolific of all healing ministries and miracle ministries. There were times when people saw his miracles that they said, we have never, they stood amazed and they said, we have never seen it done like that before, okay? But did you know, considering his public speaking ministry, they also said this, we have never heard a man speak like that before. So his ministry, his public teaching ministry was prolific. He sought opportunities to share the word of God. It really didn't matter to him. He could find an amphitheater and turn it into a great uh, you know, host or opportunity because people were coming to him. He would go into the synagogue. That was his custom. That was the villages that had their little place of worship and he would gather there with them. Sometimes the synagogues would fill to overflowing. People would have to stand outside to hear. He would ask Peter to if he could use his boat because so many people pushed alongside of him along the, the, the Sea of Galilee that he had to get into the boat and push out away from the shore so that the people then would just stand or kneel or sit on the seashore and he would preach the word of God to them. We find him, you know, uh, at different places uh, just ministering the word of God, even in someone's house. One time he was at Peter's house and they had heard that he was there so people pressed upon the house to hear the word of God, even toward the thousands it of the roof off so that they could lower someone who was sick and infirm in front of him so that he could heal them. And so as you follow the life of Jesus, you're going to see his teaching and his preaching ministry. And you're going to see the crowds that are gathering and what happens in those moments. And, and I know that it was, the Bible doesn't always fill every detail, but I think it was, I think it was a corporate gathering. I think it was more than just him preaching and teaching. I think there were times that they had song. I think they had celebration and worship and they rejoiced at everything that they saw God do. I think there were probably times that people just fell on their face like we saw a while ago in this sanctuary, just began to pray and to call upon the name of God. And, and I also discovered that Jesus' ministry also brought him into the temple, the ancient temple of Israel. And so, but, the, but as you follow his ministry, you'll discover that his ministry in the temple was primarily during the feast and the festivals, the holy days of Israel. But Jesus loved the, te the temple. He didn't minister there often primarily because of the potential conflict that he would experience between the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, because his doctrine was confronting their hypocrisy and so oftentimes there would be too much conflict and he would have to revert to other places. But we know that Jesus loved the temple. Matter of fact, he was fervent about it. Uh, one of the passages that we read earlier, it was right at the conclusion of Jesus having gone to the temple and discovering that they were making merchandise out of the house of God rather than creating an atmosphere of the Holy Spirit and the power and the presence of God. And, and so Jesus had a, had a zeal about the temple of God. And so I just want to take a moment to just try to connect you to this passage, this final week of his ministry in Luke's gospel, chapter 19, and Luke's gospel, chapter number 21. The Bible says, says that he taught daily in the temple and everybody was attentive to him. You know, that's part of my expectation when you come out to this house, that when you come here, you've prepared your heart in advance for something, that God will speak something to your life. We don't have to be the most educated or prolific uh, public speakers for God to speak through us. Come on, Peter heard a rooster crow and God spoke to his spirit. So God can use anybody. God can even use sometimes 
sometimes my broken English language to convey to you spiritual principles and truth that connect you to the communion that God has for you through the, the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we study it just a little bit further, I, I value so much the privilege that we have of coming together in this singular moment of corporate worship. I believe there's a fellowship that we enjoy when we come into this place. Come on, somebody. I mean, this is like an arena to me right here. I no longer play basketball like I did when I was a young man. This is like an arena to me right here. This is our privileged opportunity. This is where we're doing business for Jesus. This is where the things that he's done inside of our spirit is coming together. And there are many things that are happening around us and many things that are happening on the inside of us. We're following an ancient pattern that was given to us by ancient Israel. When God brought the people out of Egyptian bondage and formed a people for himself. He told Moses to erect a tabernacle in the wilderness so that there would be a central place for people to come together for worship. We follow the pattern of it and we see David would later, many many years later, David would pitch a tent in the old city of Zion for the Ark of the Covenant so people would come together and be able to worship. And we understand that Solomon built, Jesus, or built a house for God so that people could come together and worship. To the people of ancient Israel, there was no experience greater. It was where they could come together from afar. They would be able to come with their families and they would be able to worship God and experience His great grace. There was nothing like it as they would descend into the valley and then ascend up to Mount Zion to see the smoke and the flame leaping up off of the altar knowing that sacrifice and petition was being made to hear the sound of worship to hear the sound of worship all around, the blasting of the trumpets, to see priests in different places reading the Torah and expounding it to the people, to see entire families coming together and bringing their offerings and presenting it unto the Lord, and then to see men and women in all different pockets throughout the temple just praying and calling upon the name of the Lord. It was a powerful experience. A matter of fact, David wrote about it, and he said these words in the Psalms. He said, I was glad when they said unto me something began to stir. David said from my palace in the city I began to think about going to church and he said something began to stir inside of me for I was glad when they said unto me let us go up unto the house of the Lord. It's a beautiful thing when God's people come together for collective, come on somebody, corporate worship of the Lord. Amen. The psalmist said this, How lovely are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth for thee. Yea, my soul longeth for the courts of the Lord. My heart, the psalmist would write, and my flesh cry out for the living God. For a day in thy courts, just one day, just one moment, just one hour in the sanctuary where the glory of God is, it's better than a thousand elsewhere. The psalmist said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of unrighteousness. There's just something about men and women coming together in a common communion of fellowship in the house of God. Psalm 43 said, Send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me and bring them, bring me to thy holy hill and to thy tabernacle. How, how ancient Israel enjoyed the fellowship of corporate worship. It was like the oil that ran down upon the head and the beard of Aaron the priest. It brought the people together in unity and harmony and God would release his sovereign presence. Well, you know what? 
church family. So it is. So it was with them. So it is with us. See, I don't know about you. But oh, how I appreciate the fellowship of corporate worship. The fellowship of the house of God. See, you and your family have traveled here this morning. You came from your houses with your family and your cars. Some just walked across the street and you're here in this building today. And someone greeted you at the door eye to eye and made contact with you and welcomed you into this fellowship today. Some of you had a cup of coffee in the foyer, but not in here. Thank God. Let's move on from there. Some went to class. Others had fellowship in the lobby. And we waited with expectation for the first chord of worship to be struck by the bearded worship leader and his awesome team so that we could sing and we could shout and we could dance and we could rejoice and we could make a joyful noise unto the rock of our salvation. And we could say, God, I know that the rocks want to cry out, but I'm going to steal their voice by lifting up my voice today to give you glory in this house. And then the bald-headed youth pastor comes up and he exhorts us with a strong word to come forward and pray and we gather at the altar and men and women of all walks of life some rich, some poor, some young some old, some new to the fellowship, some been here for 50 years but prayer unites us around the altar and we pray for one another and we strengthen one another and we build one another up and then we bring our offering and we present it unto the Lord and then the skinny preacher comes up and he opens the word of God and he ministers to you a message from the scriptures and then a time of invitation and then we go and we leave and we can't wait till we come back again because there's fellowship. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? There's fellowship in this moment of corporate worship. It's a communion that God has given us and I thank God for it today. Amen. It's special to me. Come on, I was glad. I'm like David. I was glad. I look forward every week into the moment that God gives us, and I hope you do as well. Now, did you know, oddly enough, there are those. I feel my preacher just about to come here today. Not quite here yet, but he's just about coming. I know in this contemporary generation, we don't have folk that preach as much today, but I ain't one of those preachers. There's still a preacher locked up inside of me, and I've been praying for him to just come on out. The way that I preach when I'm in my woods at home is the way I want to preach when I'm right here right now. Let me tell you today, unfortunately, there are those who profess to be in the faith that do not participate in the fellowship of corporate worship. They say things like this. I can just worship God at home. Yes, you can, but that's no excuse. You've not tapped in to a great resource that God's given you. Come on, somebody. I want you to know I have read the Word of God many times, the New Testament, and I have yet to find a passage where Jesus instructed those who came to hear him minister publicly or to hear him preach or teach publicly. I have yet to find a scripture where Jesus said, go, you don't need to be involved in public or corporate worship. I've yet to find it. But rather I found a passage of scripture that says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. As the manner of some is, 
And all the more come together as you see the day of Christ approaching. So today, the first level of fellowship that's taught to us, did you know that it said Jesus went to the temple and everybody came out to hear him and they were very attentive unto him? The very first level of fellowship is the fellowship of corporate worship. Now let me say two things about it. Number one, I want to encourage you, don't neglect it. I say it often, you're not going to get it back. You better take advantage of it while you got it, amen? Don't neglect it, but number two, don't stop right there because there's greater fellowship in front of you if you'll progressively follow Jesus. So let's go a little bit further. Later on in the passage we read in the Gospel of Luke, the 22nd chapter, it says, Then, as he was going out, uh, he was in the temple by day, he would then go back to the Mount of Olives by night through the course of the week. But as the feast of Passover drew near, the passage tells us, that in the 14th verse of the 22nd chapter of Luke, that when the hour was come, Jesus sat down. So we had the fellowship of corporate worship, men and women of all walks of life coming together in the temple. But now it says here, and when the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles were with him. And so let's consider this for just a moment. On the night of Jesus' betrayal, Jesus found solace in his closest companions. It was a fellowship, a communion, a partnership in that room that had been specifically prepared. They shared a fellowship meal and also broke the bread and the cup of a new covenant on that very night. Now, I know this with all my heart. Jesus loved the fellowship of corporate worship, but he saved a lot of himself for the intimacy of a small group. Amen. Did y'all know that? Matter of fact, there were times that he spoke to the people in parables and nobody could understand. Or at least there were those that could not understand. And later in the smaller setting with his most intimate companions and friends that he had strategically... Now remember this, Jesus strategically chose 12 men to be with him. He chose a group of men that he would walk more closely with. Three and a half years earlier, at the beginning of his ministry, when the crowds, the massive crowds had began to hear him preach and teach and to receive of the miracles, Jesus knew that his ministry and his fellowship could not be confined only to the larger corporate worship, but he had to have a group of people where he could just kind of take the robe off for just a little while and he could have some friendship at a deeper level and these men he chose them he spent the entire night in prayer and he chose 12 men to be with him men that he could speak more intimately with men that he could speak more directly with men that they knew each other by name they knew their families Jesus ate at their houses at times he ate at the house of Simon Peter he ate at Matthew who was a tax collector he ate at his house as well they shared bread so what we read about in Luke 22 was not new to this group of men. It was, it was unique in the sense that it was right before his betrayal and his arrest, but he desired, he was familiar with this. He loved breaking bread with these men because they could share experiences at a more intimate level. 
Now, there are many in our church, just being honest today, there are many in our church that understand that power. They understand that connection. They understand that, that, that fellowship that can be created by moving from the fellowship of the corporate worship into a smaller group setting. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Now, not everybody's caught the vision of this just yet. I, mean, I want you to say this today. You got to be very careful because as powerful as corporate worship is, at times it can also be intimidating, especially in a much larger church than even what we have here in Heber Springs. And so you can be a part of the crowd and not be a part of the fellowship. So you got to guard yourself. And so if Jesus was very intentional in connecting to other men on a more personal level, then should not we? Be more intentional to make sure that I'm not just coming to church, the corporate church, but that I've got people in my life that I know by name. Come on, that I have fellowship, that I break the bread of communion with, that I've been to their house and they've been to my house. I want you to know today I'm going to confess and I'm going to kind of go off record here for just a moment and I'm going to shift away from even my notes and my thoughts. I'm going to confess uh, some things that God has dealt with me in my heart about my leadership as the pastor of this church. As I have reflected to the previous 12 years and seen God's great grace upon my life and the interaction that I have with our church family and the great value that I have experienced personally and the value that I hope that you have personally, there is a breach that has to be corrected because I have sit back and I have allowed, without purposely funneling you, I've allowed over 60% of our fellowship to not be connected to a small group other than the people that sit around you in church or your own personal family. And that's a breach on me, and it's a breach upon the strength of this fellowship. If Jesus intently chose people to be with him, are y'all hearing me today? Then who are we to think that we don't need fellowship at a deeper level? My heart was stung just a little bit this week, and the guys I shared with them a little bit as I conversed with, uh, with uh, former members of our church that it seems have relocated to another church. Our conversation that I had with them was very good. Not, non, it, was non, it wasn't contentious at all. And my heart sank some because we had great discourse. We talked about it, and we arrived at the point where uh, we just open, had open dialogue. So let me just share with you through that conversation. Because upon visiting the other church for just a moment, sensing a lack of something in their heart, in their life, in this service, even though they love this service right here, what takes place in these walls, it was what was not happening in other venues that caused them to seek to go elsewhere. Now, I felt that that might have not been the right thing to do without at least coming to me, but that was another, that was a side issue. But the moment that they went into another church, another church was designed to funnel even visitors into a smaller group setting so that they could get to know the people that they would soon be worshiping with in the larger corporate setting. And so at first I was a little bit stung by it because I, I you know, on, on a personal level, but when I went home, I've learned that you got to hear God's voice 
and other people's voice, and sometimes God's voice is corrective in nature. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so rather than get frustrated or angry at anybody that had left our fellowship for whatever reason, I found myself looking at the man in the mirror and saying, Pastor Brown, you have known all along that this was an area that our church fellowship was deficient in, and you have not taken the time to put about a corrective measured response to it. And so therefore, I received it as, I don't like to go to God's woodshed, but I know this, that when God corrects you, uh, he will then instruct you, and then he will empower you, come on somebody, to go about and make some changes. And so what we've got going right now, let me tell you, is I have repented before God, and in motion now is the initial process of planning to create new opportunities for you to connect to people in the fellowship through a small group, whether it's here at the church, whether it's off campus, whether it's at somebody's home through recreation, or some interest, a common interest. It might even be riding in the vehicle with the skinny preacher to Kansas to go on a turkey hunt somewhere. I don't know. But we need to get together as a people outside of just the four walls of this church so that iron can sharpen iron and we can speak to each other at a more intimate level. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so I'm going to need your, yeah, y'all really excited about it. I can feel it, but that's all right. I'm going to keep reminding you, the first century church broke bread from house to house. Jesus said, I've longed to eat this meal with you before I supper. But now let's go with the progression for just a little bit. Back to Mark's gospel. Now we see that when that meal was completed, when that service in that small room, that small group, that upper, it was actually a large upper room, the Bible says that had been prepared beforehand, and when they had completed the breaking of bread, the Bible says that they sung a psalm or a hymn, and then they crossed the Kidron Valley, and they went out at night. And now what they did not know, most of the disciples did not know, that Satan had entered Judas of Iscariot, and he would set in motion a process of betrayal to the Lord. And so as he left, the men that were left with Jesus, the eleven, supposed that he was going to go and buy something because he had the bag. But you know, he was going to actually sell something. He was selling Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And rather though, Jesus, knowing that that was in motion, took that group of eleven, and they crossed the Kidron Valley, and they went to the Mount of Olives. Now you have to realize that there are probably traveling by torchlight, possibly just, or maybe not even torchlight, just the full light of the Passover moon shining down upon them, that Jesus is now taking his men with him to a familiar place. This familiar place is called Gethsemane. It means an oil press. The Bible says that there was a garden there and there was an oil press. And Jesus was familiar with this place. He had resorted there many occasions to be with his disciples and to find a place of prayer. But I want you to know, I'm going to share something with you here in just a moment. you got to get this. Open your spirit up right now because it's a progression on the levels of fellowship because first we have the fellowship of the corporate worship. Then we have the fellowship of the small group. But when they went into the garden called Gethsemane, Jesus did something that he occasionally did. He separated in the eleven. He separated eight and left them at the entrance of the door or the entrance of the garden and he took with him three men, Peter, James and John, his most closest companions. He had done this on more than one occasion. He had done this in the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader whose daughter was dead 
12 years of age. And he brought with him Peter, James, and John into that holy moment when he spoke life into a dead corpse and she came back. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So they had seen things. They had been privy to things that others had not been. Are y'all are y'all with me? It was a powerful. I mean, that to be a part of that three was very special. And they had gone with him up on the Mount of Transfiguration when he was transfigured among them, and the inward radiant glory of the Son of God began to illuminate his Galilean face. And suddenly they saw him from the inside out. Are you hearing me today? And they saw his great glory. And so now, though, he brings them in, separates from his other disciples and he says to these guys I got to talk to you about something that I can't talk to the mass group of people and I can't talk to our small group fellowship I can't share this in Sunday school are y'all hearing me I got to share this with the people that I know that you're going to pray for me I need you right now guys are you hearing me today? There, there, let me say this. about there, There's a place in your life that you've got to have people whose heart is really knit to your heart. So we've got the power of the fellowship of the corporate body, the power of the fellowship of the small group, but now it's called the fellowship of the three. And the three is not an exact number, but rather it's an example that reveals that you need a small, close network of intimate friends to help you and to strengthen you during the times of your greatest trial. Some people feel cheated in life because when they look at their life and they say, well, I don't have this great host of friends. Let me tell you, if you arrive at the end of your life and you got three people, come on, that your heart is knit together in love with, come on, somebody, I'm telling you, then you got a successful friendship and relationship. Because let me tell you, there are some things about you that the world doesn't need to see via social media. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? There's some things that your Sunday school class doesn't need to hear about. But there may be a part of you that you've got to only share with people that you know will wet their sword on your behalf and say to you like Peter did to Jesus, I'm ready to go with you unto death if necessary. I love you that much. Glory to God. Every one of us need a Jonathan and David type relationship. We need somebody that we know that when we're at the most difficult moment of our life, we can pick up the phone and when they see your number on caller ID, they will actually answer the phone call. Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's a principle that we see in the Word of God. Jesus, the Son of Man, was filling the anticipation of what was yet in front of him. The weight of the cross was about to be laid upon his shoulder and he said this to these men, things he couldn't say to anybody else because if he said it to anybody else, they would judge him for these words. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. I don't know if I can handle what's in front of me. I don't know if I can face the trial that I'm in right now. I don't know if I can handle the weight of what's in front of me. And I need you guys to watch with me during this hour of travail. Jesus was very intentional in making sure that he had fellowship on multiple levels. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Daryl, I'm going to ask you to join me on the platform as we transition for just a moment. Without this level of fellowship, there may be battles that you face that you cannot conquer. Is that right? But lastly today, 
Lastly, there's a fourth level of fellowship that you cannot overlook. That you've got to see everything else as a means to this end right here. Everything else is an important a part of the process to ultimately take us to this sweet place. It's a place of the fellowship that we have with God. And there's no substitute for it. There's no prayer chain you can call. Are y'all hearing me? There's no need that you can share here at the altar with other people. There's no place in your small group Sunday school or your life group or your connect group or your trip or your younger heart. There's nothing in that moment can substitute for just time with him. And on this night, I want you to see this with me as we close today. I want you to see this. It's to me one of the most powerful things that we can look at in Scripture. The place is called Gethsemane. It means an oil press. It means the crushing of the outward texture of the olive to release the life that is within it. And it was under the light of the Passover moon that Jesus moved from the 11, now separating that number as eight, that he took with him the three and he said, Peter, James, and John, please watch with me. But he didn't stay there. He didn't limit himself to just those men's intercession. But I love what Luke said right here. I love it this way because I pictured in this in my mind right here. A stone's throw away. How far is that? 40 feet, 50 feet from one side of this building to the others, 100 feet. What, what is that? A stone's throw away that Jesus knew that if he was going to find victory, he was going to find victory in communion with God. And I'm afraid, church family, that if we're not careful, as powerful as corporate worship can be, and as powerful as the friendships that you can gain in Sunday school, and powerful as it is to have three or four or a small group of men or women that know you so they know your ups and the downs and they're willing to go with you into battle, as powerful as that is, we can be, if we're not careful, become dependent upon that strength of fellowship and we neglect the greatest place that God has for us to gain the strength that we need to be the people God's called us to be. And that's called fellowship with God. The communion that we have. Jesus was accustomed to praying to his Father. He was accustomed to stealing away from the masses of the crowds. He was accustomed to sending his disciples in other areas while he would slip off into a solitary place and pray. You've got to make prayer a familiar place. If you don't make it a familiar place, when you're in your moment of crisis, you will be uncomfortable approaching God. You won't know what to say or to do, how to commune with Him because you've not worked out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But on this night, Jesus, a stone's throw separated from three men, asked to watch with Him but fell under the weight of sorrow and slipped into sleep themselves. But Jesus there began to pray. And he began to call upon the name of God. And he began to say words that you and I have prayed before. Father, you know my plight. You know my situation. You know what I'm going through, God. 
You know I don't want to go to the cross. You know what tomorrow holds for me. You know the weight of the world that's going to be laid upon me. God, if there's any other way, all things are possible to you, God. You can do it. I know there's a way. But nevertheless, come on now, the breaking of the oil press begins to push down upon his will as he begins to accept the will of God. I found that's what happens to me in prayer. Oftentimes I go to prayer and I'm trying to work out my own will, my own plan. But while there, in the very presence of God, under the weight of the oil press, God begins to break the outer shell, the outer will, the soulless realm. And I begin to give off. I begin to give way and give place to not my will but God's will be done. Glory to God. And I believe Luke's gospel. The Bible says in Hebrews the fifth chapter that Jesus was heard in that moment because he feared God, had reverence before God. And he offered up strong crying with tears and he asked God, he petitioned God, he knelt. The Bible says he knelt down. Have you ever knelt down? in communion with God with nobody around your stones throw away. This is you and God. You and God. The shallowness of our Christianity and the culture in which we live today has created for us a dependency upon the other three levels of fellowship. And the greatest fellowship is communion with God. Communion with God. It's there that we hear His voice. It's there that we gain strength that we cannot get any other way. Now, I believe in my heart of hearts that on that night that as Jesus knelt in Gethsemane and lifted his hands up high, I believe, I believe that God looked down on his son. And he saw the travail of his soul. And you know what he did? He turned to his most trusted angel, Remember, God said he'll give his angels charge concerning you. I believe in the ministry of ministering spirits sent forth to minister to heirs of salvation. I don't know who that angel was, but it might have been Gabriel that was sent out to announce his birth to Mary. Or it might have been Michael the archangel. I don't know that he's an unknown angel unto us. But God said, get down there right now. I see the travail of my son. The weight of the world is upon him and he needs the help of God right now. Get down there right now. And so if you would have been looking on from outside, you would have saw the silhouette of one solitary man lifted up with his hands in the garden praying. But if you could have saw in the spiritual realm, you would have saw the strength and the breath and the massiveness of the angel of God who stood over him and held him near and breathed the words of comfort and peace and strength into his spirit and said, yes, you can for the joy that is set before you. You can endure the cross, despise the shame and one day you'll be reconciled with your father in heaven you can do it Jesus glory to God you can do it that's the fellowship that we gain when we lock ourselves alone with God God strengthens us at a level that we can't get any other place today I want you to know that if you have all four in your life that's where God wants you to be if you have three of the four you're incomplete I don't care, I'm just being honest. If you've got the corporate worship but you don't have the small group, you're missing something. If you've got the small group and you don't have the three, you're missing something. If you're dependent upon the three and you don't have 
communion with God, you're missing fullest effect of fellowship that God wants for you. Shall we stand up in this place today in the name of Jesus? Hallelujah today. What a special gift that God gave us in the person of Jesus Christ. Did you know the Apostle Peter said? The Apostle Peter said he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. He gave us a, an example, a pattern of life to follow and to emulate. For in that we would find, we would find a, a, a lifestyle that's pleasing to God. I'm so privileged to be the pastor of this great fellowship. You know, I call you that on a regular basis, this great fellowship. I love our corporate worship experiences, don't you? I hope you do. I hope you enjoy it when we come together. It's a, it's a monumental moment that God gives us in our life. We look back on it in days gone by and we say, man, God was so good to us to let us be in this corporate worship service I thank God for the relationships, the pockets that I see formed here. But I want to increase that because we've been shallow as a church. We've been shallow. I've received correction from the Father. Y'all work with me in the weeks ahead because it's very important that we connect. I read in this letter that's here that in order to get bigger, we may have to get smaller. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? The power of that small group. And then... I really believe that as you're faithful, God will put people in your life and you will become one to someone else. The power of the three. And that's, again, that's not an exact number. It's just an example. An example. It's something that we see. You will be, there will be people in your life that will walk with you in difficult seasons. Isn't that right? But let me tell you. Are you hearing me? If you're doing all that, and you're not doing that, come on, you're going to not gain the strength that you need to be the person God's called you to be. I'd like to ask us in closing today that we could set a precedence. I prayed and said, God, how can I lead this? I don't know what area that you need in your life of any of the four levels. I don't know, but wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be acceptable today if we just set a precedence did you know from the back of that wall to the front of this church is about 60 feet? That's about a stone's throw away. I think for just a moment to set a precedence in our life, if you, every one of us would just move forward and say, that's what I want to do today, to just move forward, come forward as a moment to set a precedence for your life. God, I see the value of fellowship on four levels. And whichever one I'm most negligent in and I need, God, I want to present myself to you by coming forward. Are y'all hearing me? People should already be moving right now. I want to encourage you today. We're just going to pray a closing prayer. In the name of Jesus, a closing prayer right here today.